Welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we work to amplify the voices and ideas of changemakers in education. We talk with students, educators, and thought leaders who are questioning the status quo and resisting tradition in education. We invite you to join us as we discuss how to shift the classroom, the learning environment, the mindset, and the pedagogy to try something new, reignite wonder, and reimagine education. If you are in the Bay Area, we are currently accepting applications for students for the fall of 2023. Yes, we have limited spots available and also for our elementary and middle school starting at TK through seventh grade for fall of 2024. Up Academy has created our framework so that new and existing schools can develop imaginative, exciting, relevant, engaging learning environments for all of their students. We're excited to introduce the Rebel Project Literacy Curriculum. It's a fully integrated literacy and project-based learning curriculum that supports social-emotional development and is based on skills and competencies. Learn more at projectup.us. Have you ever thought of opening your own school? Project Up is also supporting new educators and families to create schools like Up Academy and schools of your own design. Reach out to join our affiliate network at projectup.us. Now, let's get to today's episode of the Rebel Educator Podcast. Welcome, Rebel Educators. I'm here today with Nathaniel Provencio. He has worked in the public education field since 2001 as a classroom teacher, building administrator, and superintendent. In 2010, he became the principal of Miniville Elementary in Prince William County, Virginia. Under his leadership, the school was recognized as a Virginia Distinguished Title I school, became a national model professional learning community, and was the winner of the 2019 Richard DeFore PLC Award. Mr. Provencio has been honored as the 2017 Prince William County Principal of the Year, as well as the Washington Post Principal of the Year that same year. In 2019, he was Virginia National Distinguished Principal of the Year. He is the author of Community Connections and Your PLC at Work, which focuses on how schools can utilize the professional learning community framework to enhance family and community engagement. Nathaniel advocates for ensuring educational excellence for every school, regardless of zip code, and treats every child as if they share his last name. His unique blend of education leadership, business principles, and commitment to acting with a customer service focus has led him to found Proven Principle, LLC. Welcome, Nathaniel. Hey, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. I'm excited to hear more about your experience working in education and the business world. I don't find a lot of people who come from business into education or vice versa, and I find that juxtaposition really interesting and exciting to chat about. But before we get deeply into that, I'd love to hear about your educational journey. And I know you had mentioned before we hit record that you started as a substitute teacher and went from sub to soup. So can you share that story with us? Yeah. Going back a little bit before that, I'm originally from Tennessee, very small town in Tennessee, and uh, absolutely loved it. Had a good community upbringing, so to speak. And I was the first in my family to go to college. It was a big deal. And being the first in my family to go to college, I knew that I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to give back to the community. I wanted to give back to the world. And being a teacher was going to be my mission in life. But there weren't any jobs around. So I had to move to the Washington, D.C. area in order to start that journey. And when I got there, I was a substitute. 
working whatever job was available as a substitute teacher from kindergarten teacher to juvenile homes, you know, whatever it was, I took the job and it helped a lot. It helped give me some good perspective on what I was going to do in life. But then I became a third grade teacher and I was a third grade teacher for six years. I was a uh, assistant principal for three years. I was a principal for nine years, was able to serve as an associate superintendent for around three years, right during COVID. And then I decided that, you know, there were still opportunities for me to serve and to teach in a bigger capacity. And so I decided not to be relegated to a zip code. And I saw the need, the immense needs that our nation's schools and nation's leaders needed after COVID. And I decided to become a consultant coach and travel the country to help leaders, to help schools, to help teachers and teams be the absolute best that they can be. All those different experiences from a substitute teacher to a third grade teacher, to an AP, to a principal, to an associate superintendent has really given me some pretty interesting perspective and being able to help not only our kids, but our teachers and our leaders. So that's in a nutshell, pretty much the journey. And I absolutely love it. And I tell people all the time, I don't know what next year is going to bring, but right now I literally believe that every kid has our last name. And approaching school improvement like that helps with understanding and perspective and empathy. And I think that those things are what our leaders and our schools need even more now. It's not about trying to get ourselves out of the pandemic or increase test scores or learning. There's no program, there's no software, there's no computer that's going to be able to do that. It has to be about empathy. It has to be about perspective. It has to be about relationship building. That's why teachers are leaving the profession. That's why families may feel that the public school is not appropriate for them because they weren't listened to. And I think that we're losing customers. And I think that public schools have been in business for a long time where they didn't have to worry about losing customers. But now we are. We're losing our teachers. We're losing our staff. We're losing our families. And I want to do my little part to enhance that customer service understanding so we stop losing our customers so that we can come back and continue to refine our practices to be that shining light on the hill when it comes to American education systems. So there you go. That's what I'm trying to do. Your elementary in Virginia was a national model professional learning community. Can you talk a little bit about what that means and how you built a professional learning community really to win that award or to get that recognition? Yeah. So when I came in, I was a relatively young principal at the time. This was around 2010, in my 30s, young 30s. And as a new principal, you don't know what you don't know (laughs) going in. You know, some of our best teachers become leaders and it's like that learning curve is crazy. And so I, I came in and I was doing the best I can. And the school, it was a good school, but the test results were going down. The demographics were changing. It was a turnaround situation. And I worked with my mentors. I worked with my leadership team. I worked with those that were around me. And we said, listen, we've got to do something different. We're doing everything that we know how to do in order to raise quote unquote test scores. But those traditional efforts just aren't working. And our school results are just not there. So we're going to have to think outside the box. We're going to have to do something totally different if we're going to change our school around. And so it was a two kind of like pronged approach to turning our school around. The first one 
was to start examining what turnaround schools were doing that were already proven to be successful. And a lot of those turnaround schools were identifying and modeling their practices with the tenets of professional learning communities. So those professional learning communities, that culture, that framework basically says that our school culture is about learning, collaboration, and results. And when our teachers stop working independently and start working interdependently, then more progress, more results are going to happen at a faster level. So that's what we started to really research and learn about and dig into. And we wanted our teachers to stop working in isolation. We wanted our teachers to begin working in teams. So what we had to do is eliminate kind of waste. It's almost like a Kaizen kind of approach when you think about it. We had to eliminate waste and waste for us were the 5,000 standards that we were expected to cover. And so we needed to be very lean, right? And only focus on maybe 10 to 20 essential standards and empower our teams to work together to get really good with those few essential standards, monitor the progress, empower our teachers and teams to find areas that they can improve and just stay with it and create these habits of consistency over time. So those PLC practices and that mindset really helped us become a quote unquote A plus school. We turned our school around. But it wasn't easy. It took a lot of time to be able to do that. The second prong for that was investing in our families. Our school was about 80% free and reduced lunch and about 80% ESOL. So those two factors were some pretty heavy obstacles to be able to kind of like leverage as more assets than obstacles. We knew that our teachers and our staff couldn't do it alone. So we had to really start investing in our parents and families as the kids' first teacher to be part of our teachers. We had to leverage the power of the community to be able to help us with turning our school around. So as we were growing with our professional learning community practices, we were also growing with our customer service and experience, trying to invest and empower in our families and our community, because it's kind of like, you know, John Hattie talks about collective teacher efficacy as one of the strongest factors for enhancing school improvement. We wanted to focus on collective community efficacy because we needed a lot of help. And once we were able to do that, remarkable things happen for our kids. And I loved being a principal. I thought it was the greatest job in the world. Absolutely loved it. Miss it. But now what I'm able to do through my consulting work is help teachers, help school leaders kind of leverage the lessons that I learned personally and what effective schools are doing to be able to implement some of those practices. So what I'm hearing is that your school was really focused on learning, collaboration, and results. That's it. And as soon as you kind of modeled that as an administration and as a team, instead of the teachers being in silos, when they were collaborating, when they were learning together, we got more results. Living those values within the school really helped to move everything forward and improve a lot of the culture and the outcomes and the results from the school. And you also talk about investing in families and bringing those into the community and really asking them what they needed and what was missing and how you could best support them, which is so important in building a school structure. I'd love to ask about your book, Community Connections, and your PLC at work, because this is less of a high-level, here's a bunch of ideas, and more of a how to actually do this work. So can you share a couple of core messages from your book of how administrators can do this in their own schools? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. 
a lot of school leaders and teams and school districts, they'll have a school improvement team, like a literacy team, or they'll have a math team, or they'll have a wellness team or a behavior team. But very often, they don't have a family engagement or a community engagement team. They maybe chalk that up for a PTA or a PTO, which is not family engagement, it's fundraising. Or they might have a family engagement liaison or an interpreter or some position that does this work. And what I feel is investing in families and parents in the communities is an absolute integral and strategic element for school success. I don't know of a school, I'm searching, but I've yet to find a school that is totally 100% successful academically and doesn't have anything to do with its parents and families. I just don't see that happening. Engaged parents and families have helped their kids be engaged in the work. And I'm not saying it's easy, especially in schools that have high poverty rates, a lot of things that are going on, a lot of challenges. I'm not saying that that's easy, but it's not impossible. And I have yet, I'm serious, I have yet to meet a parent, a mom, dad, grandparent, or family that doesn't care about their kid. We all care as a parent. We all care about our kids. Now, we may not always know exactly how to go about it. We may not have the skills or some of the funds of knowledge to be able to help as parents and families. I'm speaking for myself, too. I don't always know how to help my kid. My son brings home some math stuff from high school. I'm like, son, call Oppenheimer. You better chat GPT it because I, I can't help you with this math at all. And I'm an educator, right? So one of the things that I, I just think that we're missing out on is to be able to have a practical process to be able to engage our parents and families with our work. So let me try to break it down for you. In a professional learning community, one of the big things is to focus on learning. That's one of the big cultural tenets of a professional learning community. So we, we're going to focus on learning. So yes, we're going to focus on student learning. We want our students to learn those essential standards. But not only do we want to have a culture of learning for our students, we got to have a culture of learning for our staff and our leaders. We also have to have a culture of learning for our parents and families. So if we're going to be implementing a new math process or math standards, or we're trying to grow with specific language arts standards, then we need to do what we can to make sure that our parents and family knows exactly what's happening in our classrooms. So we need to make sure that, hey, this is how we're going to be teaching math. Parents and families, this is how you can help your kids learn math this way. We're going to have parent-family engagement nights. We're going to have Zoom meetings. We're going to have a mass media campaign to make sure that we're going to help our parents and families have access to everything that we're going to be doing in the school. So learning is not just for students, it's for staff and it's for parents and families as well. Then the second tenet of PLC work is collaboration. We know that we're not going to be working independently, that we're going to be working interdependently. So that means parents and families, we need your help as well. So you may have been not necessarily invited to a school improvement meeting, but we're going to invite you in. You may not have been invited necessarily to a budget meeting, but I value your opinion and your feedback. And so we're going to bring you in. And oftentimes what happens, Tanya, is that the same parents tend to always be at those types of meetings, which is great because at least you have someone, but we need everyone. So that may mean I need to not necessarily invite parents and families to come to our school doors. Maybe we need to knock on some doors and we need to do those home visits and we need to share what's going out there. So we need to have a big campaign to make sure our parents and families know that they are absolutely welcomed in our school building. And hopefully they're going to welcome us into our homes as well. 
So there has to be that reciprocal kind of like mutual accountability with our parents and families. And I know that some parents and families have cultural mindsets that may think that they're supposed to not necessarily be a part of the school. And we respect that, but we're still going to try. And I think that collaboration piece has to happen with our parents and families. And then finally, the third piece is results. So collaboration, learning, and results. We need to be transparent with our academic results. Because if we're not transparent with the parents and families are going to find out through other means. And so we might as well own our excellence and we might as well own our areas of opportunities because parents and families are going to know anyway. All they got to do is wait to go to greatschools.com or go to Zillow and see what kind of like stuff is going on with media campaigns that's going to tell you what your school's test scores are anyway. So we might as well be transparent about it. But it's not just about the overall scores. It's about the individual scores. How's your child doing with these academic standards? When we had the traditional parent-teacher conferences, we stopped doing that when I was a principal. We did student conferences. So students would be able to share their results, share their growth, share their progress, share their proficiencies with their parents and families. I know that some educators fear data, but data is just a scoreboard. It lets you know context. It lets you know how you're doing. And when you are proactive and you share those results, you're engendering trust. And trust is so important when you're looking at developing relationships with your parents and families. If they don't trust you, they're not going to listen to you and they may leave. So all of those aspects that we do in professional learning communities as a principal, we were able to leverage those same lessons that we're doing for our staff, we can do for our parents and families. There are lots of parallels between things that happen in the business world and things that happen in education. But I think often in business, we're looking to how can you bring in customers? How can you make more sales? And that's what drives profitability and keeps a business in business. And often school leaders feel like they have ownership. This is my school and I want to change things and I want to run things this way. And I'm in charge of these families and this many schools and this many educators. So I guess thinking of the parallels of those two things, why and how but why should administrators shift their mindset towards a customer service focus versus a focus of ownership? You know, it's interesting, like our school leaders do the best they can with what they have. But the challenge is most school leaders have never had a single lesson, undergrad or master's level work in customer service. A matter of fact, a lot of our teachers haven't either. And when you talk to folks that have been in the business world, it's like second nature. They've had customer service training, you know, or if you've worked in the customer industry, if you were a server, you develop those skills. But our school leaders were usually great teachers, and then the great teachers ended up becoming school leaders. And so they don't have the skill set. They don't have the training in customer service and experience. That's what I've seen. I certainly didn't. My very first job in Tennessee, where I grew up, I was a cart pusher. At Walmart, back then, you actually had to push them. Now they're like motorized. That was my first job. And everything I did was about customer service. Even as a cart pusher, take those carts, put them in so that the customer can have something to fill it up with. Help the customer take the cart from the car. You know, all those little things about serving, I learned as a cart pusher. Matter of fact, Tanya, I learned more about customer service as a cart pusher than I ever did as an educator. So we feel that it's just kind of like an innate, like soft skill that we just are blessed with. It's not true. It's a skill set that has to be developed. And so one of the questions that I always ask, I'll start with this. I always ask school leaders when I'm doing coaching and consulting work, what is your school's vision and mission? And this is from the leader. 
And I got to tell you, eight out of 10 times, they have no idea. Matter of fact, they look to see if it's written on the mural behind them. You know, you know what I mean? Just to make sure they get it right. Well, knowing your vision and mission is your school's why. It sets the tone and the purpose of your school's organization. I was reading somewhere like 93,000 plus schools in, in America or something. Well, every one of those schools is a different entity. It's a different organization. It serves a different community. And every one of those schools should have a different vision and mission. Yes, all of our schools are all about ensuring students are learning at high levels, but how they go about doing that is different. So if a simple germane question to leaders, hey, what's your vision and mission? And then they don't know, that shows that there's an opportunity to really enhance what their organization is all about. Because you can't serve people if you don't know why you're serving people. And if the school leader that can't even speak to the vision and mission, well, then what hope do we have for the teachers and the staff and the students and the parents and families? And this is the reason we haven't had to do that before. And so public schools in America for, you know, whatever 200 plus years has been compulsory. You have to go. You have to go to these schools. We've had the customers there, right? The quote unquote, the customers. But now I feel more than ever that a lot of parents and families, a lot of teachers understand that we have choices. We don't have to work at school A. We can work at school B or parents and families. Maybe if they have a school choice situation, we don't have to be at the school. We can be at, at another school down the road or we could go to the private school or the charter school. We have options now. So more than ever, we can be losing our vital customers. So it's really, really important that our school leaders understand their vision and mission understand that every student is a vital customer that we want to work towards. Every parent and family is a vital customer that we got to get to know. Every staff member, we serve our staff members. They are our customers as well. And we can't afford to lose anyone. So we need to fight like hell to keep our customers in our schools and our businesses, just like any business would be fighting like hell to keep their customers, especially now. That leads well into my next question, which I know that you work with schools all over the country right now. You still spend a lot of time in the schools, working with leaders, working with educators, seeing kids almost every day of the school year. What are some of the other trends that you're seeing, kind of both positive and negative within the schools that you're working with? You know, you just mentioned eight out of 10 often can't share their mission and vision. And that's huge. That's the founding and foundation of a school community is what are we doing together as a community and what is our mission? But what other trends are you seeing? Are you seeing movement in any particular direction or are you seeing common challenges across the country in schools that you work with? Yeah. One of the things that I see that worries me is with COVID money and federal money and millions of dollars that came in, School leaders were doing the best that they can to leverage those funds to be able to help accelerate learning. I get it. And what I saw, what I'm seeing still was the quick reaction to buy stuff, investing in stuff versus investing in staff. And so some of the schools that I work with that are some of the more challenging schools have some challenging demographics and has some challenging academic needs. It was almost like well, if we just buy more computers and if we just buy more programs and if we just have kids stay on these programs more, then they'll be okay. Well, we want to help promote choice and we want to promote student engagement and we want kids to be able to use this program to modify their learning and they can 
go here on this software program or they can go here. Nothing replaces good education. I mean, you got to have a great teacher to facilitate those things. And I saw school leaders managing programs and not supporting necessarily their teachers and their staff. And I'm just worried that we're outsourcing excellence. And that concerns me. Now, on the other hand, what I'm seeing that's very promising and powerful is that where schools may have access to those resources, they're not letting the resources dictate the wonderful pedagogy that's happening in the classrooms. So there's schools that have virtually limited to no resources. They don't have a choice, but they have to invest in each other because they just don't have the resources. And so they're utilizing strategies and frameworks to be able to maximize collective capacity with each other. And they're really looking at how do we take this student and understand that, yes, they have an issue with reading, but it's not just a phonics issue. It also may be a comprehension issue. And even though we've got all these resources for phonics, we know that the child's phonics is actually pretty good. They just need to have a more kind of like balanced approach to be able to help them with what they need. So some schools are going all in with resources and all in with a certain mindset because they have to with this horrible F word called fidelity. I hate that word. It's a terrible word. We need to have fidelity with students before we have fidelity with stuff. And so I've seen schools look at each child as an individual and give them exactly what they need first, student first learning versus stuff first learning. So those two things, I, I think, are the kind of like highs and lows right now with my experiences in schools. Just kind of closing on that is that some schools are mandated and have to focus on stuff, and some schools are empowered to focus on students and staff. Those schools that are focusing on students and staff are getting it. They're figuring it out. They're accelerating learning. I think schools that are focusing on stuff are continuing to be stuck. I think you articulated my fear of ed tech very well in that it feels like an outsourcing of excellence and you can't try and bring in a bunch of different tools and outsource all of those tasks and still end up with the same excellence. There has to still be an excellent teacher and an excellent facilitator of all of those things who can use them properly. And that's the second part of what you said, you know, investing in students and investing in our educators to make sure that we get to that space of excellence. Yeah. And I think just one more thing that I think it's important to share is I have worked with schools where they can't find the staff and they can't find the teachers. The teachers aren't coming. And so they'll get the best person that they have available who may not have training as being a teacher or maybe a career switcher. And so instead of investing in them, they will give them these resources to use, quote unquote, with fidelity in order to mitigate damage. But then the question is, why did that teacher leave in the first place? Why did they have a vacancy in the first place? What was that ecosystem like in that school to chase those teachers away? A lot of people will say, well, well, we have to pay them more. Yes, we need our educators to be paid more. Absolutely. But we also need to pay attention to our educators. We need to empower them and listen to them and make sure that they have a voice in accelerating our learning. And so that's what I feel like we have to be mindful of. Our teachers are our greatest resources. Invest in them. And if you see a school where people are leaving, that says something about the ecosystem. And so then they try to fix it by putting a bunch of stuff in place, and that's not going to work. 
Well, part of it's the customer service aspect as well. We have to work towards that with our families and building that community, but we also have to work towards that in building a solid mission and a strong brand that's going to attract amazing teachers who want to be a part of those things that we're doing. Families and community isn't our only customer. We have our internal customers as well. That's right. And if I got school A and school B across the street from each other, and we can't compete with our pay because we're in the same district, I can't pay you more, but I can pay attention to you more. I can't necessarily give you bonuses and do some other things like in the private sector, but I can empower you and have to have a voice to work collaboratively, to not have to be all things to all kids, but put you in a team so that there's a team approach for helping our kids out. I can do those things. And if I'm branding that with my mission and my vision, and we're branding that excellence as a school, then we're going to recruit the best teachers available to be a part of an amazing brand. That's what a business would do. That's what schools can do. On a completely different note, there's one question that I ask all of my guests towards the end of the show, and it's because I run an elementary school. I love to hear stories that guests remember from their elementary school years. So can you share a story that you remember from your time in elementary school? Yeah, I love thinking back to my elementary school. I had a teacher. This is actually in middle school, so I'm going to cheat a little bit. Okay, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat. It happens. And her name was Miss Hart great name, right? And she had just the biggest heart, great empathy, just loved kids. I just really resonated with this teacher in middle school, Miss Hart. She did a lesson one time on the hounds of the Baskervilles. And I wasn't like a good student at all. I spent more time trying to figure out how to get out of work than actually doing the work. But this lesson, it was great, this hound of the Baskervilles, because what she did with this story was that she created a court, like a mock court case. And it was just awesome. Like there were jurors and there was defendants, there was the witnesses, and then there was a judge. And it just seemed like for the first time as a kid, Miss Hart brought this story to life in a real and authentic way. Now, we remember those experiences. That was an experience. And I don't remember the tests that I took. I don't remember some of the activities and the math stuff. I remember experiences as a kid, and that was an experience that resonated with me. And when I think about that story and think about the work of school leaders creating not only exemplary customer service, but also exemplary customer experiences, those experiences are what stick with us, those emotional experiences, those things that you feel. And I think if our school leaders can focus on how can we create experiences for our students, How can we create experiences for our staff? And how can we create experiences for our parents and families? Well, then we are creating a brand that is exemplary. And that's what I remember. So good old Miss Hart. (laughs) Thank you, Miss Hart. How can people get in touch with you? So uh, on social media, they can find me uh, on my Twitter page at Proven Principal. Just type my name up. I've got uh, a website, provenprincipalllc.com. Those are the best ways to get a hold of me. I do consulting and coaching across the country. And so if you're interested, if your school is interested in dipping its toe into looking at customer service, looking at school experiences through a different lens and growing your family and community engagement, I'd love to be able to talk with you. So hit me up. Let's see what we can do. Let's serve together. Thank you so much. That's it for another episode of Rebel Educator. 
Thank you for joining us and thank you for spending your limited time with us learning how to be rebels in education. If you'd like to learn more or access our project library, you can go to rebeleducator.com. If you'd like to learn more about our progressive elementary and middle school in the San Francisco Bay Area, check out upacademy.com. Interested in learning more about our Rebel Literacy Project curriculum or launching your own school and joining our affiliate network? Visit projectup.us. And if you haven't read it yet, pick up your copy of my book, Rebel Educator, Create Classrooms Where Impact and Imagination Meet on Amazon or anywhere you read or listen to your books. If you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to leave a review and rate our show so that others can find it and love us too. Look forward to talking to you soon. Keep resisting tradition, rebel educators.